Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Well, good morning, church. Honestly, I don't, I don't know how anyone could have just watched that video and sat still in your seat, okay? Some of y'all need to loosen up, you know? That, I mean, the vibes were like, I was like, hey, you know? Uh, man, I'm so excited to be with y'all this morning. We're in part four uh, of this series we've been in, an invitation to consider. Uh, and I'm excited about the invitation we're going to talk about this morning. I genuinely believe, and this is not just pastor talk, I genuinely believe if you will lean into this invitation, um, it may be the very thing that changes your life. And so I want to pray for us, and then we'll jump in uh, to today's message. Father, we love you, and man, it's a gift that we even get to say that to you. Um, We can only love you because you first loved us, and so thank you for your love for us. And thank you that you have ordained this day and this moment in time in history, that you knew every person who'd be sitting in this room, who'd be watching online. Um, And I thank you, God, that you're sovereign and you want to speak to us. And so... um, Lord, I can only say words, but I know you can change hearts. And so would you do that? Would you transform each and every one of our hearts that we would leave this room looking more like you um, with a new awareness of who you are and how you move? So we love you and we thank you. We just ask that you would move now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Gerald Fatiomi. It's good to be back. I consider Port City like a second home. Uh, It's been about a year since I've been here, so I want to give you a little bit of updates on what's going on in our world. Um, My wife and I are in the middle of church planning right now, so we're planning a brand new church that starts in January uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, Roswell to be specific, so we're super excited about that. Um, Last time I was here, we had four-month-old-year-old twin girls. Um, They are now 16 months old because that's how a year's time works. Um, And they are the cutest things in the world, and I'm a good dad, and good dads always show pictures of their kids. And so these are my girls. Yep, I know. Wesley Grace and Zoe Faith, Fatiomi. They're amazing, 16-month-old identical twins. My wife and I are crazy, though. Um, We're so crazy that we decided, you know what, I know we already have twins in our house, but let's do it again. And so we now have a 21-year-old, 21-day-old baby in our house. Uh, This is Trinity Hope right there. I know, right? I make good babies. Um, And so... (laughs) And so that's our third. Um, I told my wife we, um, we had to name her Trinity because that was my way of theologically closing the circle on girls. And so God, um, we keep having this conversation. I just want to be very clear. Boy, okay? We're done. We're done. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's our family, and I love them a ton. I'll tell you, the last year of my life has been pretty amazing. Um, obviously, there's been some challenges that we've faced globally um, that we've all been walking through, but the last year has been pretty great because I've gotten to be at home way more than I normally would have, and so I've got to watch my girls grow up and got to enjoy some moments with them. I was telling Abigail, we're good friends. She's from Atlanta as well. I was telling her every night we put our girls to bed, and we kind of have a routine. We read the Bible, and immediately after we pray, And our girls are starting to pick up on the rhythm, you know? So we finish the Bible, and at the end of the story, I go, amen. And they both take their hands, and they go like this, and they bow their heads. And they're 16 months, and it's like the cutest thing in the world, you know? And so there's all of these moments that I'm getting to enjoy because I've been home more, and that's been amazing. But I'll tell you, uh, on the flip side of that, when you're home a lot and you're around family a lot, you realize that there's some things that you do that drive each other nuts. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Um, Yeah, some of you are like, I didn't even want to come to church with you today. I'm like, done, you know? Uh, And there's like little things that we do that just drive each other crazy. And so one of the things that I've been doing that's been driving my wife uh, absolutely up the wall is the thing that I feel like most of the men in the room can relate to. Okay, so if you can relate, like just give me an amen in the middle of this. 
Um, but I'll be like sitting on the couch, you know, and I'll get a little bit bored. I'll get kind of antsy. I'll be unsatisfied like in the moment, you know. And so I'll get up and I'll walk into our kitchen and I'll open the fridge and I'll look. And I'll close the fridge. I'll go to the pantry. I'll open the pantry. Look. Close the pantry. I'll open some cabinets. Look. Close the cabinets. Then I'll go to the outside fridge, drink fridge. Look. No, I'm good. Close the drink fridge. Then I come back inside and I open up the other fridge again as if there's something new in there now this time, you know, and I look. And so I'm just like opening all of the, the, the fridges and the cabinets and the pantry in the house. And eventually, like I'll do this for about a minute and a half and my wife gets super frustrated and she'll scream from whatever room she's in. Sometimes she'll be like upstairs in the bed, bedroom and can hear it. She has like supersonic hearing, you know? And she'll yell down, she'll go, what do you want? And what are you looking for? Like, what are you looking for? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking for. Something awesome is supposed to be in here and I can't find it, so I keep looking to see if it's gonna magically show up. Right? Like, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'm looking for, for something. Because I'm on the couch and I feel unsatisfied and I'm hoping that there's something somewhere in this house that will satisfy me in this moment. I wanted to start this morning with a simple question for you and the question is this, is what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Because the reality is, is no matter where you're from, what your story is, what your background is, every single one of us in the room is looking for something. Any single people in the room this morning? Raise your hands, raise them high, be proud, okay? Good. For some of you, uh, you're looking for a new spouse. I wanted you to raise your hand just so you could notice if there was someone cute on your row. Um, (laughs) Because for some of you, if you're honest, right, like you, before you walked into the building, you were like, God, if you're real, could you please put a tall, I mean, at least six foot, muscular, cute boy on my row, and God, if he raises his hands during worship, I know that's the sign you want me to marry him, right? <laughs> she laughed way too hard, right? Like, you're like, yeah, like, I, I know what I'm looking for. Like, I'm looking for a spouse, someone to spend the rest of my life with, someone that, like, I can follow Jesus with together, and we can raise a family together, and that's the thing that you're looking for. If you're married in the room, where my married people at in the room? Amazing, yeah, you're looking for some things as well. Um, for a lot of you, you're looking for the right opportunity to make an ask right now. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you've been waiting for, like, three or four days, and you're like, I'm going to catch my wife in a good mood before I ask her if I can go golfing with the boys. In fact, for some of you, this is the reason you came to church. You're like, I know she's going to be happy after the service and I'm going to make my ask, you know? And so you're looking for the right opportunity to make ask. For some of you, you're looking for a new job, a new career. Um, for some of you, you're looking for a new hobby. For some of you, you're looking for some new friends, right? Like all of us are looking for something. And, and those are like surface level things, you know? But if we could spend some time together, if we could get coffee, if we could lean into a conversation and we could get a little bit deeper, you would tell me about some other things that you're looking for, right? Like for some of you, you'd tell me that you're looking for hope because your world just feels hopeless right now. It feels like at every corner there's more bad news and you're wondering when it's going to stop and you are just exhausted. And you're like, I'm just looking for, for some hope. For some of you, you're looking for belonging, You're looking for a place to be accepted, a place to be known, a place that feels like home for some friends, for some family. You just feel lonely and you just want to belong somewhere. For some of you, you're looking for peace. 
And it feels like there's drama at every turn. You go home, there's drama. You go to work, there's drama. You hang with your friends, there's drama. And there's just drama everywhere. And you're like, I could just use a moment of peace. For some of you, you're looking for joy. And over the last year, you've experienced more depression and more anxiety than you've ever felt in your life. And you just want to smile again. For some of you, you're looking for a spiritual connection because your friends have told you about this amazing relationship they have with God, but you've shown up and it feels like it's just missing. You can't figure out why it's not working. You can't figure out why you feel like you're missing something. Or for others of you, like, maybe you feel the way I felt on the couch, you know? And you're unsatisfied, and so you're looking for something and you don't even know what it is. You just know something's not right. Something's missing, and you're looking for something. All of us are looking something. And my concern for us is, is really simply this, that it's not that we're looking for the wrong things. My concern for us is that you might be looking for all the right things in all the wrong places. That you're looking for all the right things, like hope and joy and belonging and peace and acceptance and a connection with God and something to fill the whole life. Those are not bad things to be looking for. But my concern is that we may be looking in all the wrong places, and when we do that, we actually find something else. Rather than finding hope, we find shame. Rather than finding belonging, we find disappointment. Rather than finding joy, we find regret, and we find depression, and we find anxiety, and we find all of these things that we weren't looking for that seem to compound and make the issue that we're already dealing with even worse. And my concern is that if we're looking in the wrong places, what we're unknowingly doing is drawing ourselves further away from the very thing that we ultimately need, from the very thing that may actually satisfy our souls. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to show you the story of a woman who's been in that exact same predicament, a woman who was looking for the right thing but was looking in all the wrong places until she meets Jesus. If you have your Bible, we'll be in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 29. It's a famous story known as the woman at the well. We're going to read all the way through it and then unpack it a bit. John chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, where Jerusalem was, and went back more towards Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me something to drink? The disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews and Samaritans did not associate with each other. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and who drank from it himself? And did also his sons and his livestock, but Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will, be, will become in them a water well 
a water welling up to eternal life, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, well, give me this water so I don't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. She responds, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands and the man that you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but Jews claim that the place that we must go to worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus has this encounter with this woman who should have never been talking to and ultimately declares his true identity to him, the savior, or to her, the savior of the world. Jesus is in Judea, the southern part, um, near Jerusalem, and he's now on the way to Galilee. I'll show you a little map of where he is. So he's down in Jer Jerusalem in the Judean area, and he's going on a trip to Galilee. And you can notice the straight line is the path that Jesus took from Judea through Samaria into Galilee. And when you read this text on the surface, it's like, oh, well, this is just geography. Like, it's obvious Jesus is in the south. He's going north. The fastest point from point A to point B is a straight line. So Jesus had to go through Samaria. What's interesting, though, is that word had. Because if you know the context of what's actually happening here, this map makes it make a little bit more sense, and this word had becomes a little bit more confusing. You see, Jews and Samaritans, as we see in the text, did not associate with each other at all. And so the route that a Jewish man or woman would take to get from Judea to Galilee is actually that outside loop, the loop that goes around Samaria. Why? Because Jewish people believed that Samaritans were half-breeds. There were Jewish people who had gotten a relationship with Gentiles and had become unpure because of their relationships. And so Jews would not associate with Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do with them. They didn't want to be around them. They didn't even want to breathe the same air. And because they felt so strongly about this, the typical route would be to go around Samaria, not to go through it. So then when the text says in verse 4, Jesus had to go to Samaria, the question is, what do you mean had? What do you mean he had to? No, because most Jewish people would not take this route. So he didn't have to go this way. It must mean that Jesus chose to go this way. And that word had, when you actually understand the meat behind it, is really more like compelled. That Jesus was compelled to go to Samaria. He didn't have to go to Samaria. He chose to go to Samaria. And the reason he chose to go to Samaria is because he had a conversation in mind with a woman at a well. Hear me. This woman was the wrong race. She was the wrong gender. Male and women should not be communicating unless they're married. She was in the wrong location, and she had the wrong reputation. 
And Jesus says, I'm going anyway. I'm going to meet with her. I'm going to have a conversation with her. Race will not stand in the way. Gender will not stand in the way. Her reputation will not stand in the way. There is a conversation that needs to happen between me and her. You may be wondering at this point, what does this have to do with you? Here's what it has to do with you. For some of you, you showed up in the room this morning and you've already discounted and discredited the possibility of having a relationship with God because you weren't born into the right family, because you don't have the right means, or because you've done too many bad things. And so you're going through the motions, showing up here, going, yeah, 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 like I'll, I'll do the church thing, but there's no way that God would actually want a relationship with me. And I needed to pause before we get into the meat of the text and just say to you this morning, God wants to meet with you. It's the reason you're in the room. And there is no race or reputation or gender or anything that you've done or anywhere that you've been or any part of your story that discredits you or disqualifies you from relationship with God. Jesus goes through a place that he has no business going because he had a person in mind that he wants to meet with. And I believe you're in this room because he wants to meet with you. And to the Christian in the room, let me just say this, for many of us, we've gotten into the rhythm and the routine of playing church and showing up on Sundays. And what you need to know is this is not a box to be checked, you are in the presence of the living God. That God literally, through his spirit, wants to meet with you, speak to you, transform you, convict you, grow you, shape you, mold you, encourage you so that you can leave this room and leave this space looking more like the savior of the world. It's not a box to be checked. It's an experience to be had. God wants to meet with you this morning. So Jesus takes an unconventional route and goes to Samaria to meet with this woman. He sits down, tired from his journey, begins a conversation with this woman. He starts by asking her for a drink. Woman comes at noon. It's the hottest part of the day. Most scholars believe she came at the hottest part of the day because she didn't want to be seen by her community. She was ashamed of who she was. And so she gets to the well and Jesus goes, hey, could you give me a drink? And immediately she looks at him and she goes, I don't know if you know this, you're a Jew and you're a man and I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman. We're not supposed to be talking. And I imagine Jesus just smiles and goes, if only you knew who you were talking to. Because if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for a drink, and now she's confused. Whoa, 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 what do you mean I would have asked you for a drink? Really? Like you're here, you don't even have a, you don't even have a bucket. The well is deep, there's no way that you can get to water. What do you mean I would have asked you for a drink? And you think you're better than Jacob? You think you're better than one of our patriarchs? What, Jesus, come on, are you serious? Jesus smiles again. Hey, you know if you drink from this well, you'll get thirsty again. But if you come to me, I'd give you a water that would satisfy you eternally. He's going, what are you talking about? All right, cool. If you have that kind of water, hook me up, bro. Let me get some. Let me get some of this water, you know? And Jesus goes, okay. And then he takes like a really awkward turn in the conversation. He goes, yeah, I'll give you some of that water. Real quick, can you go get your husband? And she's like, um... You see, what had happened was, uh, 
I don't have one. Jesus is like, yeah, no, you've had five. And the guy you're with now, not even your husband. And as you're reading through the text and you're going, okay, they're talking about water, they're talking about getting a drink, they're talking about this, whoa, whoa, why did Jesus just make this like random turn and start talking about her relationships? This feels so unconnected and so random. Like, Jesus, what are you doing right here? Friends, hear me this morning. This is not random or disconnected at all. Jesus knows something about this woman that is true for many of us in the room. And this whole water illustration was meant to lead up to this point because Jesus was trying to demonstrate a spiritual point about her soul that she had lived out in her life. And here's what he knew. You have been running to wells your whole life, woman. And the well you've been running to is the well of relationships. You went to the first one and it failed. So you ran to another and that one didn't work. You ran to a third and you thought, maybe this one will satisfy me and it failed you again. And now you're on your sixth attempt, hoping that it'll work out this time. And I just wanna let you know, if you keep running to the well, it's always gonna run dry. There's no relationship that can satisfy your soul. As I thought about her and I thought about y'all, the question I wanted to ask you this morning is really simple. It's this, what well are you running to? What well are you running to hoping that it can satisfy your soul? What well do you keep returning to hoping, okay, maybe it'll fill me up this time. Maybe I'll leave satisfied. Maybe I'll be more content. Maybe I'll have more joy. If I just keep running to the well, I'll give you some examples. For some of you, the well is the well of social media, you know? You keep showing up to that well with a little Dixie cup going, ooh, I got a like on that picture. That felt good. Ooh, he liked the picture. And that wasn't a new picture, that was an old picture, so he must be interested. Ooh, they commented. And over and over and over, you run to a like, or comment, or follow, and it feels good for a moment until someone unfollows, or until your family member didn't like, or until the comment was negative and you thought the well of social media could satisfy you, and it does for a moment, but then it runs dry, and so you have to go back, and go back again, and go back again. And for some of you, this is the reason why you're so addicted to your phone and you didn't even know it. Because you're hoping that this well could satisfy you, and so for every five minutes, you go back and you go, refresh, refresh, refresh. Is there another like? Refresh. Is there another comment? Refresh. What did they say? Refresh. What do they think? Refresh. What's going on? Is anyone there? Does anyone care? Does anyone paying attention? And you're running to the well, and it just keeps running dry. Can't satisfy your soul. For others of you, it's the well of career. Notice the cup's a little bit bigger. And so maybe it satisfies you for longer. Oh, I got that job that I've been praying for. Amazing. Well, now I got to get a promotion. Well, now I have to be the best in company. Well, now they're not really noticing me anymore because there's this new, young, amazing person that they're all infatuated with. So now I got to go find a new job, a new career. And you're hoping that the business, the career, 
building the right team, making the right amount of money will satisfy you, but you've quickly found out there's no amount of business deals that's gonna make you satisfied. There's no amount of money that you can make that's going to satisfy your soul. For some of you, I didn't even say this in the first service, I felt like the Holy Spirit just said it. For some of you, you grew up in a family where you were dirt poor and you spent your whole life thinking, if I could just work my way up to the upper class and get a nice house and nice cars and have an awesome family, then everything's gonna be better. And you have it. And you're still empty. Career can't satisfy. Money won't do it. Can't satisfy your soul. For others of you, it's a substance. And the pain's gotten so strong, you've just learned to drink it away. And you're living for Friday to get to that one beer that turns into two beers, that turns into a six-pack. You go to that drug or that prescription, and you keep going to the substance because it numbs the pain for a moment. But come on, can we be honest? You know what happens with this? You just wake up the next morning with the same problems and a hangover. It just gets worse. And maybe it's satisfied for a moment and it felt good for a moment and you didn't feel the pain for a moment, but the reality is it cannot satisfy your soul. And so you have to keep running back to the substance, running back to the drug, running back to the drink, running back to the bottle because it is a never-ending thirst that cannot be quenched by the substance that you're running to. It doesn't satisfy. For others of you, it's achievement. Like if I could just be good enough, if I could just be the best, for some students in the room, if I just become the valedictorian in my class, man, then I'll be satisfied. My parents will be proud of me. Maybe you achieved that, that's awesome. You know what's gonna happen when you walk into college on the first day? You're gonna sit in a room full of other people who are the valedictorian of their class. And you're gonna realize, I thought it was so special. Now I'm just one of, of many. It's not nearly as satisfying anymore, is it? Achievement, it can't satisfy your soul. I'll give you one last one. For some of you, the well that you've run to is the same well that this woman ran to. It's the well of relationships. I was gonna use a wine glass for this, but I thought that was inappropriate. Um, only grape juice here, so. And you've been the boyfriend, your boyfriend, your boyfriend, girlfriend, after girlfriend, after girlfriend. Marriage, after marriage, after marriage and you've identified the problems with your ex and made a list to say, I'm never gonna date someone with those problems or marry another person with those problems, and then you date that new person and you marry that new person and you realize they have a list of different problems. And so the relationship can't satisfy your soul. And leaving one and going to another isn't gonna fix it. You still feel empty. And Jesus is looking at this woman going, how long are you gonna keep running to places that can't satisfy you? How long are you gonna keep settling for temporary satisfaction when your soul is dying and thirsty for more?
See, friends, here's the deal. Temporary things will never lead to lasting satisfaction. And so if we continue to run to the wells, we'll always be thirsty. We'll always be missing something. We'll always be looking for something. And so Jesus says to this woman, hey, how long will you run to the wells? If you knew who it was that you were talking to, you would have asked me for a drink. And I would have given you this this living water. It would satisfy your soul so you would never thirst again. And Jesus is going, if you will come to me, this is what's on the table. If you will come to me, I am the source of hope, the source of peace, the source of joy, and it is a never-ending source. It just keeps going and going and going and going, and you can drink for me, and it's still there. And it's still there. And it's still there. And I can drink until I'm full. And I'll never have to be unsatisfied. Because it just keeps going and going and going and going. And it never runs dry. And it would be a beautiful thing if the picture that Jesus was painting is that you just get your head under this water and you keep drinking. But that's not the picture. It's better than that. The picture is, this gets in you. It's not that you have to keep running to Jesus going, fix me, fix me, fix me, help me, help me, help me. I gotta show up on Sunday so I can feel close to you and then I feel distant the rest of the week. He's going, no, 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 you don't understand. If you will come to me, I will fill you with my spirit and it will be like springs of living water bursting from inside of you, guiding you, directing you, giving you peace, giving you joy, giving you hope, giving you this abundant, full, rich, eternal life right now, today. You see, eternal life, the misconception, and I love that Pastor Mike has been talking about this in the series. The misconception is eternal life means I die, then I go to heaven. That's a part of it. Eternal life is the kingdom of God now lives in me. And heaven has come to earth because the Holy Spirit is in me. It's guiding me. It's directing me. It's leading me with this fullness. And so I get to live in intimacy, relationship, proximity, and closeness to God today and forever. Eternal life starts today. When you come to the source of life, his name is Jesus. So here's the point. Jesus is going, only I can ultimately satisfy you. Only Jesus can ultimately satisfy. And you can choose to keep settling for cheap peace, momentary joy, false belonging, or you can run to the source of life and you can allow him to fill you with his spirit and experience the fullness of life today. He's the source of hope. He's the one who invites you to belong to the family. He's the one who gives you a peace that passes all understanding. He's the one who shows you the difference between joy and happiness And knowing that happiness could be fleeting, but you can have a rich and deep joy no matter what comes your way. He's the one who accepts you. He's the bridge that leads to relationship with your heavenly Father. He's the only one who can fill the God-shaped hole that you keep opening in the fridge, wondering if there's something that can satisfy you. And he's going, it's me. It's me. And the invitation is not to 
therapeutic moralistic deism, which is like one of these churchy study things. Essentially what it means is stop trying to be a good person. That's become some of our religion. Because I'm going to be the best possible person that I could be. Hear me. Jesus did not die on the cross and resurrect from the grave for you to be a good person. Jesus died on the cross because you were dead in your sin. And in him, you can experience the fullness of life. And you know how that happens? It doesn't happen by trying harder or being better. It happens by getting to know Jesus. And that's what happened for this woman in this moment. She got to know him. Let me show you what happens next. Verse 27 through 29. This is beautiful. It says, just then the disciples returned or were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But nobody asked, what do you want, woman? Why are you talking to her? They knew better than that. Then, y'all, when I read this in the text, it blew my mind. Like, this is one of those small little details that, like, if you're just reading it really quickly, like, you'll completely miss it. But, like, this is the most significant detail in the entire story. It's going to blow your mind. It says this, then leaving her water jar. What? Is anyone else not mind blown right now? She came to the well at the hottest part of the day to do what? Get water. She meets Jesus and she goes, I don't even need that anymore. I'm good. I'm full. I'm satisfied. And then here's the crazier part. Then the woman went back into the town and said to the people, okay, she went to the well at the hottest part of the day. Why? Because she was ashamed. She didn't want to run into anyone. Now this woman is going back into her town and she's going to talk to everyone, leaving her water jar behind. Nuts. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Okay, I'm gonna pause for a second. This is like comic relief, okay? Like this is why you should read your Bible. It's hilarious, okay? She runs back into the town. She's like, y'all, you ain't gonna believe this. I just met a dude who told me everything I've ever done. To which some Karen in the crowd was like, everyone knows everything you've ever done. You've had five husbands and now you're hanging out with Johnny and we all know Johnny, right? To which she's like, shut up, Karen, okay? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the savior of the world? And this woman who's full of shame, regret, who does not want to be seen by her town, now leaves her water jar behind and runs into her city as an evangelist. How does that happen? Is it because she tried harder? Is it because Jesus said, hey, here are three steps to not feeling shame. Hey, here's the recipe to contentment. Oh. You know what happened? She had a conversation with Jesus. She got to know the Savior of the world, and it changed everything for her. And so this whole series is an invitation to consider. It's, it's not a one, two, three-step process to losing 30 pounds in 30 days. It's not what this is. 
This isn't a, hey, here's the guide to being a good person. It's not what this is. The invitation to consider is this. Would you get to know Jesus? Would you spend time with him? Would you open up the scriptures and learn his heart and learn his character? Would you get on your knees and pray and ask God to fill you anew every day with his spirit? Would you spend some time actually getting to know Jesus? Because I believe if you would, you would find yourself leaving your achievement, leaving your need for acceptance, leaving your need for belonging, leaving those relationships in the past and going, I am so full, I don't need any of that anymore. It's like living water is bursting up inside of me. I'm satisfied in a way that doesn't make any sense to the world. I have a peace that passes all understanding. I have a joy that can't be squashed by circumstance because I got to know the Savior of the world. That's the invitation this morning. Would you get to know Jesus? And if you will, I believe he'll fill you with his, with your, with his spirit. I believe he'll order your steps. I believe he'll guide you and direct you. I believe he'll encourage you, convict you, strengthen you, mold you, and lead you to a full and abundant life. Or as Jesus would say it, to eternal life. Right now, today. So what you get to know, Jesus. Amen. Father, we love you. And we thank you that that's been the invitation from the very beginning. As we read through the scriptures over and over again, come and follow me, get to know me, have dinner with me, sit with me, rest with me, lean back into the loving arms of beautiful Father. And so God, I pray that we would accept that invitation this morning for every single one of us in the room that we would take a step towards getting to know you. And as we do, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would transform our hearts, that you would guide us and direct us and transform us and lead us to the abundant life that you have to offer. Help us to experience your fullness today. We love you and we trust you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.